Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. We have had a lot going on, (laughs) as Lydia just said, and uh, we felt that instead of, you know, we're going to have had some different ideas for what sort of series to launch into. We just come from an 11-week series called Platforms to Pillars. And uh, it was a really, I think, uh, impactful series. Often, you know, when you prepare these things, you hope to get some feedback. But I don't think we've had this much feedback uh, ever um, in the history of when I've been preaching at Red. And so thank you to everyone who sent emails and just see the impact is really, really encouraging. And in thinking forward, we knew we had the national prayer gathering. We'd have like Rachel and Pete sharing. And we're just thinking forward of like, you know, what, what, what should we do next? We had some that were good ideas, um, good ideas and not necessarily God's ideas. And just felt this, this idea um, to have a series, looking back at what God has been doing amongst us. Often there's a vision series. So this series is called The Vision. Um, often there is a vision series that happens in churches which aligns with the church calendar. So classically how the church calendar works is people come and check stuff out in, in January. You always think January is going to be quiet, but then heaps of people rock up and surprise you as they're checking out a church in January. And then there's a sort of momentum at the beginning of the year. You have Easter, and then you'll have the vision series often after Easter where like, okay, you're all here. This is what we're doing as a church. But as I said, good ideas aren't necessarily God's idea. And we just noticed that God has been doing stuff amongst us. And really what this series is narrating that and also um, I think, you know, asking the question, how do we respond practically to what God is doing and building amongst us? We actually, uh, Britt and I were laughing the other day, we came up with the title, The Vision, but then we remembered after all the work had been done that we actually were going to call it The Invitation. Um, so I'm going to call it The Vision in brackets, The Invitation. Um, but you'll get the idea of where we're going. Uh, We're going to watch a video in a second, um, but I would love to read a scripture, which is going to frame what I want to talk about today. Um, I did warn the 9am that um, I have gone on this epic uh, sort of time, um, of super busy year, um, and was having to take breaks at different times, but just the way the year panned out with Trudy being ill, um, you know, it's just super, super busy. Uh, two conferences. Um, I was in the UK, did leadership conference in London and came straight back into it. So I'm taking a break next week. So what you're going to get today is super tired Mark, which will either be funny Mark, um, maybe profound Mark, could be deeply offensive Mark, um, or all of a combination of the above. Um, But I just wanted to share what I feel God is saying to us at this moment. Let's begin with Romans 8 uh, verses 19 to 28. Paul says this to the church in Rome. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Just write an underline under that. That's a verse I really want to sort of focus in on today. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we, eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. If you can see hope, it's not hope. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Just a couple of themes I just want to pick out. Number one, have you ever thought that the whole of creation, this complexity of nature, the whole of the world, all of its structures that God created, actually waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It could be that you don't know who you really are. You don't know what God has for you. It could be that what you think you are is the sum total of all your experiences up to this point, what school said about you, what the culture said about you, what those around you said about you, and actually what you think you can be is not calibrated to how God sees you as deeply loved, to how Jesus sees you who gave his life upon the cross so that you would not have to die, and the Holy Spirit who wants to empower you, wants to pour out Jesus' spirit, and you've got this imagery of creation groaning, the spirit groaning. There's a lot of groanings in this passage. And that groaning, I think, captures that space between where we often are now and where God wants to take us, the now and not yet. Now, I want to link this to something that if you were at the conference, you would have seen a video that we played. Um, and uh, we were actually going to show it last week. And I must admit, uh, uh, Pete Gregg asked me to show it and we didn't get around to it. So sorry, Pete. Um, but I'd love to show it this week. And when we were preparing for the conference, we, we, one thing we did is we want to get a heart for what God is doing in this nation. So we flew up to Sydney on a bit of a, a commando mission and in a day in, day out trip, we interviewed the sort of eminent Australian Christian historian, Stuart Piggin, and asked him, you know, when has God moved in this country? So much of our understanding of how God moves is tied to what happens overseas. But what about our expectations of what God could do here? And spent over two hours with him. He was at Macquarie University, written you know, numerous books. And he boiled it down. So it was an incredible conversation over two hours, which totally reframed how I see faith. Australia is a faith-filled place. Uh, a lot of the history that, that has been written that tells us that it's not was really written in the 70s and 80s by a particular school of uh, historians who very much had a, a, a political um, angle which was to sort of downplay the religious um, aspects of Australian culture. Um, but Piggin boiled down the three components that he sees, the three elements that are really key when God moves in our nation. Um, and we're just going to watch this video now. I've always thought that, just speaking historically, all revivals are preceded by three features, by extraordinary prayer, mm. by unexpected unity among Christians. I mean, Christians are always arguing among each other, but mm. they, they stop arguing just before revivals and think, I mean, mm. let's focus on the main game, mm. Christ and His glory, and heightened expectation. Mm. There is a, there's a feeling that God is about to do something significant. Mm. 
And when you think about those three things, prayer is connected to all of them, actually. What makes you more expected is if you are committed to prayer. You are, you are so desirous of revival that you that you read about them and you learn about them and you mm. pray about them and that uh, is that which increases expectation mm. and it is all also that which increases unity among Christians because mm. you do focus on the main game. Mm. Um, it's very hard to find a revival where prayer has not been a significant factor. Mm. Now we saw last week extraordinary prayer, people praying. We also saw unexpected unity where the church comes together. We saw everything from Lutherans to Catholics, Pentecostals to Anglicans, Baptists to Presbyterians, people from small little house churches to very large mega churches in the thousands. People from all different backgrounds of the church coming together. And there were fantastic things to frame what was happening in the 24-7 prayer gathering. But I want to pick one of those things out for us today at the beginning of this series called The Vision. And that's heightened expectations, heightened expectations. You see, there can be different kinds of expectation. The first way that we can have expectations is to have false expectations. And false expectations tend to inflate our expectations beyond what is actually really possible. And when I talk about heightened expectations, I've got to communicate their message and get through a bunch of previous experiences and way that your mind has been shaped. And some of the ways that they will be shaped is then when I talk about heightened expectations, people will have this sense of having expectations not met in the past. You see, expectations become false when they're calibrated to the values of the world. And very much our world has pumped up. What is one thing that has marked the last 30 years is an extraordinary idealism in the world, which has pumped up our expectations. Everything from the political realm where we were sold a world that was going to get better and things were going to get better. The, many of you would be in the, let's call it the Obama generation of yes, we can. We also see this in consumerism, that so many of the products that are sold are way beyond. It's not just about buying that shovel or that eyeliner. The shovel and the eyeliner will make you an incredibly magnetically attracted person. It's not just about having a job. Your job at Officeworks or as an accountant or as a landscape gardener should be something which delivers you transcendent meaning. Relationships are not just relationships. Friendships should be something like we see in a television show and marriage and romance is something that is stretched beyond all limitations as history has seen them. Hard work should be rewarded in profoundly transformative ways. And so we have a world that has pumped up our expectations and sometimes the church has actually mirrored those expectations. Little insight, a lot of the pastoral work that I've done for 20 years is often with people whose expectations as they saw them coming into faith have not been met. People who thought that they would be married and are not. People thought their lives would turn out in a particular way and it doesn't. People have been let down by leaders and promises and even sometimes words which have been spoken have not come true in the way that people thought so because they've actually been shaped by the expectations of the world. And particularly, I just want to say, if you are in the generation who was young but now getting older, which most people throughout history would have called middle age, 
I'll let you define how old that is. I was watching, I think it was, it was the Blue Dahlia. There's an old 1940s movie. And then one of the characters in it, I was watching this little black and white movie I was watching a few years ago. And the, and the, and the character goes, I'm 28. I'm middle-aged now. I thought, wow, it's stretched out, that one, hasn't it? You know, it's like, you know, I'm 60. I'm middle-aged now. He's almost say, well, we'll be there in a few years. But many people in that generation have had so much promise and pumped upness. And when that is not met, we then can flip from a kingdom of overinflated expectations to the second kind of way that we approach expectations, have low expectations. Reduce the goal in order to not get hurt. And this can happen in the world. I think this is happening in the world at the moment. I think one of the big differences between millennials and Generation Z is that Generation Z have very low expectations about the world compared to their millennial elders. Why is that funny? <laughs> is that like millennials realizing that? Is it... Welcome, welcome to middle age. Um, uh, and just you wait, like Alpha's gonna be doing this to Gen Z before you know it. Um, and so history proceeds. And I think our world's seeing this. Our expectations have gone from the world sliding to a kind of progressive utopia, even just 10 years ago, to now us really hoping that we don't end into some sort of apocalyptic, dysfunctional global order. Or the third kind is kingdom expectations, to set our expectations on what the kingdom of God outlines in the scriptures. Now, I just want to reflect that the danger for the Australian church, um, and there are some churches which are going to have inflated expectations, but I just want to say the danger of the Australian church is actually, I think at this time, post-pandemic, to be shaped by low expectations. Low expectations regarding churches growing. Our potential individually for spiritual growth and transformation. Our impact upon the broader culture. Not so much a distancing from the culture through morality, but just like you do your thing, you will do ours, and the idea that perhaps if the church can just not get knocked around by the broader culture, that's as good as it's going to get. Versus the great visions you see of Christians having in the past of everything from the abolition of slavery to incredible transformations of cities to make them livable. So many ideas that were birthed out of the church. We reduce those expectations to actually make an impact in our world. Last week, if you're at the 5 p.m. service, there was a moment as Liddy spoke about, and you saw the photo where Pete Gregg sort of just walked around talking very gently and slowly, and then built us up to this bit where like, he pushed us out of our Australian comfort zone. And he talked about a thing that they did when they were at the beginning of the 24-7 prayer movement. He did it also in Spain, where they yelled out, come on to God is a sense of like your kingdom come on earth and it wasn't this sort of Australian. Now, one thing I've learned is that often people think that I spoke in, in, in Britain many, many times and it's really interesting. You think British culture or English culture in particular is very reserved. English people when they get into worship are a bit crazy. Like, like they're just like, it's like, it's actually really good. It's like a really responsive audience. But actually in Australia, we're very quiet and we actually sort of stay in our envelope. And so Pete Gregg said, I want all the 25-year-olds to get on stage and we're going to pray for them. And then he got us to yell, come on. And we yelled, come on, for like over a minute. Uh, the band went mad. 
uh, particularly my brother, on drums. It was his dream moment. Like, we've been trying to, like, like, tone him down. He was in lots of crazy, like, bands when he was younger, and it's taken years to sort of get his drums, you know, just quieten down his worship. And Pete Gregg ruined it all. Uh, I could see Glenn. It was, like a, it was like deliverance for Glenn. He was just, like, freed, freed in that moment. But what you saw is young people come on stage. You might have been some of those young people. And I think it was, it, was, it was really surprising for a lot of people because I think that you saw people crying and people moved. And there is a sense where I think we've had too low expectations of younger people. What does the culture say? Younger people are fragile. They're addicted. They're, 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 they're snowflakes inheriting a bad world. Well, actually, they're the generation that God is going to use in the next season. And maybe we've got too low expectations. And maybe even if you're a younger person, I'll let you define what young is. Maybe you've bought some of those cultural myths. And what low expectancy does is it drives cycles of underachievement. If you've got nothing to aim for, you don't really achieve much. And this can drive our visions of the Aussie church. And one thing I've realized is that there's lots of commentary out there and we've seen stuff happen like in America where you've seen the church become highly politicized, also in places like Brazil and so on. But the sort of cultural Christianity, I think that exists in Australia, is not a hyper-politicized. Yeah, that happens in some places. But what it actually is, is sort of a church of low expectations. It's a church of comfort, offering a church that offers a bitter community, maybe a half-entertaining sermon with a reference to last night's football game, a youth group for your teenagers and maybe the occasional men's breakfast or women's lunch. But when you see that, you wonder, how does that compare to what we see in the book of Acts and what we see in the New Testament? You see, low expectations stifles holy ambition. Ambition is a dirty word in the church, and many times it needs to be. Because ambition born of the flesh is profoundly toxic and destructive. But there's actually a holy ambition where your ambition to change things, not set by the culture or a sense of pride or the flesh, is actually set by the kingdom of God and Jesus' salvation plan as it's working out in the world. You see, in Australia, we can cover our holy ambition in a blanket of false modesty. And a humility that's actually prideful because it's the pride of, I'm just going to stay in my seat. I'm not going to step forward because I don't want to make a mistake and look like a fool until Pete Gregg gets us to yell for a minute and a half. You see, low expectations are actually fleshly. They don't come from the Spirit. They're a reduction of what God can do. Low expectations are ultimately shaped by our expectations and understanding of who God is. So what this series is, it's a vision, it's an invitation for those who are leaning in, and it's an invitation for you to lean in more or to lean in for the first time. You see, God has been building expectations amongst us. And what I want to do is I just want to talk about what's happened in the last 12 months. Charles Dickens begins his great novel, A Tale of Two Cities, with a really famous quote. I'm not going to give it to you all, but it says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And the last 12 months have been some of the worst times in my life. And it's been really interesting as I've caught up with people and spoken to friends uh, who've given me a call and seen how I'm going. You, you know, people say, it must have been really difficult. And yeah, it's been rubbish. But it's also been unbelievable. There's been stuff I've never seen before. I've been in ministry 
for a few decades now, a couple of decades, and the stuff I've seen in the last 12 months, I have never seen before. Palpable touches of God moving, the best of times, wrapped in the middle of the worst of times. You see, we've built a culture of prayer. We've had people visit and say, there's a marked culture of prayer that's at red. When they launched our prayer room this time last year at our building, and we've seen a culture of prayer. We're normal now. When you're in the office, you hear the door close and you see someone walk by and, and people heading in and praying all the time. This was not normal. Do you know that I was part of church projects and projects that went for a couple of years and training and I was talking to someone about this before, in, in between the services. They were also part of mission activities. And to our absolute shame, we never prayed. It was not normal to pray. Prayer was for the couple of older ladies who perhaps met and sort of hassled the minister. to we have a prayer meeting? Oh, okay, do it Thursday night. You know, lock the door behind you. Sadly, we have been in an absolute famine of prayer. But what we're seeing in red is we used to have a prayer meeting like pre-2019 and we'd have them and they'd sort of fall over and then a few people would come and then it would drop off and it was often become sort of self-focused. But we don't have just a, a prayer meeting. We've got multiple prayer meetings a week. And one of the best things is when you hear people singing in the prayer room. Like it was the first time it sort of happened. Like, who's singing? You know, we're in the office. Who's singing? And at two o'clock in the middle of the week, someone's singing in the prayer room. A culture of prayer is growing amongst us. We need to mark this because this ain't normal particularly young people praying. In about February, news filtered out across the world of the incredible move of God that happened in Kentucky at Asbury College. And we knew that we're not in Kentucky. We know the American South is different. But all across the world, particularly because it happened amongst Gen Z, there was this sense of, hang on, it like heightened the expectations if it could happen then, it could happen in a place that's really polarized and hopeless like the US at the moment. And it could happen amongst a generation which many probably had written off. What could God do here? We received an invitation, Trudy and I, to go, like get on a plane and go. And I thought about it and I just felt God say, no, no, ask for it here. And so we didn't know what to do. We didn't have any plan. We didn't put this in our calendar, but we just felt like, what if this Sunday night, we just like open it up and at whatever it was, five, I can't remember the exact time we met, and just like praise and worship and pray and, and see what God's going to do. We met about three times. And then I think it was the third session, we were coming to end and we didn't really know how to end. And, and we were sort of coming to the end. And I remember I, was, I think it was, I was looking at Brits and, and Sue just came and grabbed the mic and said, God's doing something. And he was. <laughs> and I think we sat there for three or four hours and people didn't want to leave. Can I just say, in again, 20 years or whatever on earth I've been in ministry, I've not been in something where people don't want to leave because they're bathing in the presence of God. It wasn't loud. It wasn't like booming worship. It was just a tangible sense of the presence of God. In that moment, people got changed. And then there were other versions of that as it happened. That has happened at Tuesday night prayer. That's happened in people's houses. We're hearing reports of this stuff happening. There was a Sunday where uh, you may have been here, where we got to communion in the 9 a.m. service. The previous night, people had been praying all night. The first time we prayed all night in the prayer room. 
People were like praying at 4 a.m. And we went for 24 hours, and the next day God turned up. We got to communion, and we just felt like the Lord calling us to do an altar call. You don't do altar calls at communion before you've done announcements. That's how church works. <laughs> yeah, the Holy Spirit was doing something different, and weirdly, the two services almost blended in. Like People are walking in going, what is going on? Tangible sense of the Holy Spirit moving amongst us. We didn't really have a plan to start a service in Campbell. I said to myself, if you start another service, have 12 months of planning, get a team. I wrote in my journal, get a team of 50 people. Start strong. That's what all the books say. That's what all the, the, the uh, advice I've gotten is. But in the midst of that, we just felt like God was saying, start something in there and just start with worship and prayer and see what happens. I put this little caveat. I said, there's nowhere, there's nowhere in that area. There's nothing I've looked. I've driven around. There's nowhere to go. And if there is, it's going to be too expensive. And then within a week, someone said, oh, here's this space. Have you seen it? I'd never seen it before. It was built during COVID. And I said, it's going to be too expensive. I said, no, I'm only going to do this under 500 bucks. Come back, 149 bucks. Ah. <sighs> Haven't planned, just rock up, start this thing. And we've now got a, a, a service which is growing and taking shape and flesh is coming onto bones. That was in the midst of one of the most difficult times. It's not our plans, God's plans. And then in the midst of this, like as these moves are happening, you know, I went to the UK, heard all the stories of God moving, got to hang out with the Asbury guys. God's on the move. I was so pumped. Finally, come back. We'd been in a really tough period as a church. And then news of Trudy's diagnosis. I'll never forget when I heard that some people weren't coming because it was a downer. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like I'm happy to lose people if I stuffed up or they prefer, I don't know, Latin chanting or giant pipe organs. But like, man, like God, help me out here. Like I've tried my butt off. Like we've gone through this really difficult period. Like we've tried to walk through it with integrity. And now people are not coming because, I'm sorry, some of my family got cancer. What am I meant to do here? But amazingly, in the midst of the best of times, the worst of times, Trees Diagnosis released this wave of prayer it led to a deepening. There's a group of people. We didn't organize this. Different people over time. Every Monday night they prayed for us. And in that group who prayed for us, me and Trudy went to the last one a couple of weeks ago. It was a deepening. And what they realized is they're not just praying for Trudy. They were praying for Red. And God just began to grow their expectancy and their hearts. At this point, if you're again following the church protocols, have a rest now. Don't try anything new for the rest of the year. Like pull it back, pace, lots of Sabbath, lots of, I don't know, cups of tea. No, we have Rob Rima coming. Rob Rima comes from the US and for 14 weeks or something, a whole bunch of the team and some, uh, and some volunteers came together, formed this team of like learning how to go through his training around soul care and deliverance. And so we have this Saturday 
and Friday and Saturday, I think it was. And there's all this work that happens in people's lives. There was the moment where the Holy Spirit fell at that renewal sessions, but then something completely differently is happening at soul care, that people are having breakthroughs in key issues of their soul that had held them back for years. On the Saturday afternoon, you could go home or you could stay and come in and get prayed for. And like a bunch of people come and get prayed for. I'm not going to share what happened in detail. Some of you who were there and got prayed for, but I'm just going to say, wow. I saw stuff I'd never seen before. We saw breakthrough that we'd never seen before. There are people who are profoundly transformed for that moment, freed from things which had held them back in the depths of their soul. Strongholds of the enemy, scripts. There are people profoundly changed. You know, I think it was Neil said to me, he saw the kind of spiritual growth that you only see over like three or four or five years happen in 24 hours. And the team at Red, like it's normal now for people to come in and be prayed for and people getting released of stuff all the time. And just growth, growth, growth happening. It's like a Baraka you throw in. Or if you're cheap like me, the Aldi version of Baraka, <laughs> which I actually think tastes better, but just takes a lot longer to dissolve. <laughs> so often I'll like put it in and I'll go and have a shave or something and come back and it's still going. Um, and it's worse when you drink it and you get it and it's in your mouth. Oh, I know, you want it to be completely dissolved. <laughs> but that's what it's been like, this slow release, effervescence of spiritual transformation that's been happening in the background. I've done a conference, year's done. No, but no, there's more. We have a 24-7 prayer conference. Again, honestly, like, we had no capacity to do this. Uh, the Holy Spirit came through. Like, like uh, we, the speakers we wish we could have got, we ended up getting. Like, it was incredible. And that was a key moment. Like the reports we're getting back, it's like God did something. John Tyson's talk, we're going to put it out, John Tyson's talk particularly on the Friday night about growing in authority. I'm just sitting there going, wow, this is, uh, wow. And then last week, Pete Gregg getting people on stage. I spoke to a guy who visited last week. He's not from Red. Young guy. And he just was sharing. He's like, it being in this world of surrounded by unbelief. And he's just like, God's doing something. And he's closing his curtains, laying down a towel on the floor, kneeling and praying, and the Holy Spirit's coming on him. He came on stage and he just wept. This is not normal. Young blokes in Australia, I've not heard those stories. My good news stories before was like, oh, I'm not going to walk away from church. This is different. Dallas Willard said, Hearing God only makes sense in the framework of living in the will of God. You see, a lot of people want to hear God about that relationship or this or that, but actually what we're experiencing is hearing God, but it's in the framework of the will of God shaping us, our expectancy rising. You see, when you partner with God, surrender to his will, divine surprises happen. And God has been depositing amongst us the Pillar series has actually shown us that God wants to create amongst us a, a, a culture of holy responsibility, where we understand that God wants to partner with us, that his solution to all of the issues facing this crisis at the moment is us. He wants to partner with humans. 
We realize that our responsibility is not just to find the best church that we like that suits our tastes and wants, but actually to invest and leave the church in a better state, partnering God than when we found it. That people are choosing to be pillars versus consumer Christians. And why is God giving us these things? Did you know that the culture of prayer changed? You know it's also changing the culture of worship. I'm going to be completely and blankly honest with you. Sometimes in the last few years, there'll be moments of worship and God's done something and it just felt like it was a blank wall. The classic thing of, it's like Mr. Bean. Not, it's not as good as Mr. Bean, actually. He's a bit like, yeah. You know, but just like the, the, the mouthing away of the words. But there have been moments, I've sort of like, this stuff happened in the last few weeks. It was about three weeks ago where, hang on, in this service, something happened. And you're just like, man, it's like people are really singing this. There's churches which can have the incredible worship band and the perfect screens and acoustics and sound. And in a moment like that, you're like, this sounds really good. Is it, is it the production or is it the people? And I'm not bagging that out. But there's moments where you know it's actually the people and what God is doing in them. I'll never forget the Sunday night. We had... We thought Rob Reamer was going to be here and he's going to preach at Campbell on Sunday night. And then we realized his flight was in the afternoon. So there's no way he's preaching on Sunday night. So we had him in the morning. So like, what do we do? Well, we just said, let's just open this up. Anyone's been through soul care and you want to just praise and thank God. I will never, ever forget that Sunday night. People utterly belting out praise. Uh, that was proper praise. And we, I didn't think we even had announcements. I didn't, we didn't have a sermon. Literally just people praise for over an hour. And in that room at Campbell, just the sound so loud. It was almost ear ringing, not because of some massive sound system, but the people of God praising God for what he'd done. Why has God given us these things? Why has God done this in the midst of this challenge? Well, I believe that God is speaking to us. God wants to raise our expectation. You see, a lot of the church simply wants to get back to the equilibrium that existed in 2019. The various estimates that the Australian church have lost between any between 30% and a third of attendees since COVID. And so lots of churches just want to just get back to them, get the giving back to them, get the attendance back to them. But actually, this is not the time to get back to equilibrium, but rather this is the moment to advance with what God is doing in the world. What is the cause that God is asking us to rally around at this moment? Well, I just want to read you something from an article that's written by someone called J.T. Reeves, uh, young adults who had gone to the Asbury uh, Renewal. I think it captures this moment. Uh, this person um, was basically right to the beginning. I'm not going to read this bit out, but they were doing their thing, I think, at another college, and someone rocked up in an old Honda Civic and said, we're going to Asbury. And they're sort of like, I have other things to do. And they're like, what could be more better than what is going on there? So they jumped in the back of this, this Honda Civic, a bit cynical. And here they describe their state of mind. And I think this captures so many people. Some of you are going to go, that's me. Some of you are going to go, I'm a bit older. But let me tell you, this is the next generation, how they feel about the world. Imagine that. Like me, you grew up in a hurricane blitz of secularism that systematically dismantled your belief in the unseen. Even if a miracle should happen, you'd probably be too sensible or cynical to believe it. Before you hit puberty, rampant individualism 
forcefully placed you in a cage like a circus animal and handed you an iPhone so for you to pretend you're not lonely. You use the phone and sometimes it works. When it doesn't, you grow anxious and put up more walls. So you're never challenged, no, never invited to attend to the depths of the living God. The postmodern pressure of not pressuring keeps people from asking things, hard things. Meanwhile, you're living virtually. Entertainment is the unrivaled deity in your life. Algorithms of billion-dollar companies have monopolized your attention in brackets, your worship. Sometimes you try to escape this vicious cycle, but with the speed of life, it's like trying to land flat-footed after jumping out of a moving sports car. You see, the world shapes how we view. I'll never forget asking a group of young adults who were all in this space of like they were frustrated and I was doing this class and they're all frustrated and they didn't want to be part of the church anymore and they're questioning things. And I said to them, if you grew up, let's just say you grew up in the Middle East and you grew up in a war zone and you grew up in poverty and just say you grew up under significant persecution, how do you think your faith would be? Do you think your faith would be stronger and you'd be wanting to be connecting with Jesus more? And to my absolute surprise, all put their hands up and said yes. You see, often when you grow up in the church, you can sort of wonder, hang on, I grew up in this, am I shaped by this? But let me just summarize, Charles Taylor wrote this epic book on secularism. It's called This Secular Age. It's massive, it's super hard to read. But the entire argument is basically this. Secular people are secular because they have been shaped by a culture which values secularism and forms them in that space. If you lived in a different culture, you wouldn't see the world so secularly. But what's happening is this secular story where the leaders of our world have promised to manage, promised to manage everything towards this kind of secular, progressive, utopian future is actually being shaken. People, firstly, are increasingly disconnected everywhere. Loneliness is epidemic. I spoke about it in the Pillars series. And also, we're facing this incredible demographic decline. When people are disconnected, they're less likely to get together, less people have children, less people are connected. People die all early through sense of loneliness. And in the church, this means that we're about to hit a demographic hump. We have lots of people in the baby boomer generation. Not all of them came to church, but a bunch did, and a bunch served, and a bunch gave, and a bunch volunteered, and a bunch sat on boards and cleaned up chairs and did stuff. They're going to retirement or to the retirement village in the kingdom of God. And this creates a space of who's going to step into that. But at the same time that this is all happening, the global order is being shaken. Does anyone here watch the Stands, it's on Stan, this American series called The Circus about American politics. That's good. I've had two people out of two entire services. There's another hand. I saw it. Well, my daughter. Yes. <laughs> watch it together. Yeah, three of us. Um, shows you how few people watch these streaming shows, really. Basically, it's, it's a bunch of journalists who follow each week. They give you an update of what's happening in Washington, and they talk to everyone. It's really well done. And you normally get it, and it's right up to date. So it comes out on Monday, and it's normally what's happened in the last seven days. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a new episode started, and the last series that ended with Donald Trump being indicted. And like, this is massive, like, gonna rock the world. Donald Trump, you know, indicted, you know, presidential candidate could go to jail. They come back at the, this one, and they're like, 
Well, since then, he's been like indicted like 37 times. So we thought it was a big deal, but like it's just normal now. Every second week, he's getting indicted or arrested for something. So they begin to go, like they said, American block, we're in utter chaos. This is the worst it can get. We've got one presidential candidate who's been arrested and, and you know, possibly could win from jail. And then we've got the other candidate, Biden, who's looking old and his son, Hunter's like, there's corruption stuff around him. He's, he's before the courts. This is terrible. And then the third thing is we don't have a speaker of the house, like politics is in chaos. And so the whole episode was, this is the worst it's ever got. At the final part of the episode, they got a, a, a presidential historian and some famous guy, and he'd written multiple books on presidency. And he said, this is the worst it's ever been. This is the most dysfunctional the American Republic has ever been. This is really, really bad. It cannot get any worse than this. I'm watching this on Monday, as a few days old, and Hamas had attacked on Saturday. And so I'm watching this going, yes, it's going to get far, far worse. And what is happening is the entire global order is unraveling. Things are shaking. We are in a world where, yes, there is the environmental challenges and, and all of the things we're speaking about and AI and blah, blah, blah. But we're looking now at two major wars in the world. And so the promise that the world will get better and the future will improve, these things are being shaken at this moment. And so what this means is there is a significant legitimacy crisis in the culture. People don't trust. The one thing that you're seeing in all of the elections from, you know, like, like we just had the Polish election, the New Zealand election, every election, people are going, is, is the culture going left or is it going right? Let me tell you where it's going. It's going, we're sick of whoever's in power. The dominant people who shape our culture have a significant legitimacy issue. And what this means is people are not believing the story-making machine of culture, and they're asking questions. Also, what is happening in Melbourne, you go to Queensland, I've spoken in Queensland a few times, and you know they complain about Victorians. So, ah, oh, the roads, it's Victorians everywhere. You've all moved up here. I can't get a house because of the Victorians. And like the coffee shops are filled with Victorians. And I'm like, this is sounding a bit of passive aggressive, guys. Like, I'm sorry, I still live in Melbourne. But what's happening is the number one person that is new to red at the moment is someone from overseas. Walk around the city now, filled with overseas students. People are moving because of the demographic challenge that we have because people have moved out of our state. It's something like, I don't know, 450 to 650,000 people are going to move to Australia in the next 12 months. Unprecedented. Now, Philip Jenkins in his book, The Next Christendom, says that one of the times that people are most often open to becoming to faith is when they're moving countries. And we're seeing that. So people are looking for churches to connect in. People get more serious about their faith or they actually take on faith for the first time. That is happening. You're going to live through that. I've had, like the other week, I had like maybe 12 conversations with new people and every single one of them was new to Melbourne from overseas or people even moving inwards. So people are coming. It's changing. And many of them are coming going, I heard about Red. People are going, I heard you got a prayer room. Now, can I just say, 10 years ago, five years ago, the conversations we used to have with people were a bit weird when you had newcomers' conversations. Not all of them. If you had one of them, I'm not saying you're weird. <laughs> but... Remember, this is tired, Mark, no filter. But the conversations have changed. People are coming going, I'm hungry. I came to Red because you guys pray and I'm hungry after God. That's why I've come here. It's not like, oh, I went to church, this other church in the eastern suburbs. I went to this Christian school and I should go somewhere. That's gone. 
lot of those people left with COVID. Hungry people are turning up. And so there is this incredible opportunity before us. I just want to read the second part of that Asbury. Uh, really, it's a testimony from J.T. Reeves. And they arrive then on campus at the awakening. And they say this. For a few, it takes hours. For many, days. For you, speaking of themselves, it's weeks. Weeks of worship and prayer back at your own campuses get you out of the haze you've been in for years. The face of Jesus becomes a bit clearer and you and your friends look at each other wondering why you hadn't noticed his irresistible beauty until now. Or maybe you did notice it, you just never acted like it. You haven't believed in miracles, but several of your friends experience stuff that no medical explanation that has no medical explanation. Unfortunately, miracles from the omnipotent God seem terribly normal in the scriptures. Now you have no excuse but to begin praying for impossible things. All you want to do is worship. Individualism fades as you find you don't have to pretend anymore. You're not alone. And caged by your friend's love, you become vulnerable and confess things you never thought you could. Soon, anxiety melts as you and your friends friends challenge. No, invite each other to daily attend to Jesus of Nazareth. What a line. Daily attend to Jesus of Nazareth. Nightlong prayers, days of spontaneous worship, and tears of intercession don't seem foreign. They feel surprisingly natural. Your appetite for everything entertaining is spoiled, and you walk into a study room to find a friend looking up at you guiltily, saying, this is terrible. What you say, I have so much to do, but I can't stop reading my Bible. And you laugh because you came in itching to finish reading Exodus 27 to verse 30, to chapter 30. Since when did you want to read Exodus 27 to 30? <laughs> but the lover of your soul has made himself known. He stepped into your warp speed haze and took your hand. You're mesmerized by his words. You knew he was better, but you never gave him the time or attention that experience that knowing, to experience that knowing invitation. I'm not used to people 18, 19 talking like this. Something is happening. A resetting is happening. Is everyone going to step into it? No. Is the entirety of Gen Z going to step into this? No. But there's going to be a remnant in Gen Z. There's going to be a remnant in millennials. There's going to be a remnant in Gen X. There's going to be a remnant in the baby boomers. There's going to be a remnant in Generation Alpha who are going to step into this and respond to it. You see, invitation is, is given and expectation is heightened when we stop comparing ourselves downward or sideways and we actually compare ourselves to the great men and women of God who have followed him with heightened expectation. A.W. Tozer said this, Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and soon you will feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. When they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. We're going to talk about some practical things in this series. We're going to talk about some of the things we feel God is calling to us to as a church. But what I wanted to start with was an invitation to think ahead to the next 12 months. Some of you are at a point where God's been doing stuff in your life. In between services, I spoke to someone and they came up to me and they said, what you talked about today 
basically explained the last year for me. This person came to Red, their spouse sort of brought them along, they said, dragged them along. They basically said, I'm going to come. And they'd been hurt by some experiences in the past. They were racked by how they saw themselves. And they both said, I'll come. Look, I'm going to come every four weeks. I'm not going to talk to anyone. Maybe I'll just volunteer because that's what I do. I'm a sort of stickable person. But that's it. And in the last year, God has profoundly changed this person. Many of the things that I spoke about, they have been part of. And they said the one place it began was they came to church one day and they were just so loathing of self and they made this decision that what they were going to do is just say, yes, is there a premeeting? I'm going. Is there an invitation to this? Yes. Is there soul care? I'm going to that. 24-7 gathering? Yes. That this person said yes. So the first thing I want to say, the invitation for those of you who have been saying yes and have been growing in the last period, keep saying yes. It's a continual journey. Don't get to the point where you plateau in your faith. Keep saying yes. The second thing I want to say is this. There are people in this space, I can say God has been doing that. I've seen the transformation. There are other ones who perhaps are in the galley, in the terraces, on the seats in the arena looking down, and you're seeing this. And maybe because it's new or it's a bit challenging or perhaps maybe you also have scripts about yourself. Maybe you've seen some of the stories and bought the lie of the enemy or your flesh or the culture that this happens to other people, but it doesn't happen to you. Perhaps there's been really difficult times. Perhaps your expectations weren't met. Perhaps there's been hurt in the past from the church or the culture or friends or whatever. You feel like it's been, you've been let down, that you can't say yes. Maybe you think you're not worthy enough. You've done too many wrong things that God won't accept you. Whatever it is, whatever whispering of your flesh or the enemy, you haven't said yes. I have a real sense. I've just felt it in the last hour that there are people who have jumped on the train and they're now on the Yes Express. That's good, I just made that up. The Yes Express. But there's others who are on the station. I believe that there's 10, 20, 30 people here this morning who are not on the train and it's actually time to get on the train. Say yes to the Yes Express. That's great, it's memorable now. This could be part of our culture. Say yes to the Yes Express, and that actually in 12 months, yeah, you can have difficulties in the next 12 months. There's going to be bits you're like, what am I doing? There's going to be bits where you don't feel it. There's going to be bits with the difficulties that come across. Jesus said, you will have difficulties in this world. There's going to be suffering. I've had so much suffering in the last 12 months. But the Yes Express keeps moving, and God is asking you to get on board and say yes to this process of God growing you. Yes to turn up. Yes to do stuff that you're not used to. Yes to step outside of your comfort zone. Yes to not be defined by your mates or what you feel you should be doing. To say yes for the first time. And thirdly, can I just say, there are so many people out there who are just waiting to be asked. You know, there are people who have turned up to Red, who dropped off during COVID and didn't know how to come back. They just stopped coming because they got out of the habits. And then a mate has said, hey, do you want to come to Red on Sunday? Come to church. And they come. 
and are now connected back in. There are people, the stats are that the majority, like something like in younger adults, I come into the exact stats, I'm just quoting them from memory, but the exact stats, something like two out of three younger adults in Australia would say yes to coming to church to check it out just if someone asked them. Ask. Don't just make this a personal spiritual journey. I was really marked by in that Asbury testimony, the person talked about the age of not pressuring people and not wanting to upset the apple cart. Well, let me just tell you now, like that is falling apart. You can see like an issue like, like Israel and Gaza, all of a sudden people are not trying to say anything because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. But the world is incredibly complex. The whole let's not say anything, rock the apple cart. That thing's going. We're in a conflicted world. Everyone's got an opinion. We're just learning that. So the sense of stepping out of the comfort zone and into the space where you might invite someone. It just could be a mate they used to go to church with and like, what's God doing in your soul? Where's your faith at? Maybe pray first. Just pray. Who is God wanting me to invite back? Who is God wanting me to invite for the first time? There are people who God has connected you to. You are part of his great plan. You are in notes in the symphony he's writing in the world. Ask the question. You just might get a yes. So what I'd love to do now is I'd love to invite the band up. And as I said, this is an invitation. This is the vision, but it's also an invitation. And as we stand, let's stand. I'm going to pray. And it'd be great uh, if we had some people on the sides to pray for others. So we'll just get that organized. And as we worship, what we're going to do is, if you've been saying yes and you need the Spirit's empowerment, if you need the Spirit's empowerment to keep saying yes, you're on the train, you're going, you need empowerment, you want to go further, you want to keep going down the line, come and be prayed for. If you're on the platform and you feel that sense that when I said there's 20 or 30 people in this room and you're like, I think that may be me, come forward. There were people in the nine who came forward for the first time. So they realize, like, hang on, I've got to get on this train. Thirdly, you may come for someone else. Someone you desperately long to see to come back, come for the first time, come for them. Pray with someone for them. And let's just pray now. Come Holy Spirit. We just thank you that you are here. You are moving. You've been growing something amongst us. We want more of you. Heighten our expectations by your kingdom, by heaven, we ask Jesus. We bring before you the pain of when our expectations have not been met, when we've been let down. So God, recalibrate our expectations to you. As the scripture said, as Romans says, hope is not hope if it's seen. So God, in this moment of groaning, as creation groans, as creation has expectations for sons and daughters of God in this room to be revealed. God, I pray that people put down at this moment their view of self, which has been shaped by things that are not of you. These are your children wonderfully knitted in their mother's womb. You have plans for them to prosper. And they may not look like, I don't know, the country road catalog, but they actually look like what the kingdom of God is, of, of their lives being centered around you, grown in you. God, help them to see you in them. Christ, may they become more Christ-like, I pray in Jesus' name. So just now move amongst your people. God, prompt those you need to respond at this moment.
as we offer up these worship to you, this worship to you.